Hello, Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Guides Requested Podcast. I'm your host Tingting, and today our guest is Benny Ra. Benny is full of positive energy, and her laugh always lightens up my mood. This summer, I traveled up to Pacific Northwest, near her home base in Seattle. So, of course, I took this chance to interview her. Benny Rom is a plus-size outdoor athlete and has been very active on snow, rock, and water. Years ago, she started sharing on social media the ups and downs, difficulty and triumphs she had experienced due to her body image. Her genuine stories resonated with many people, and she has become a force for awareness and change. In the outdoor community, in order to nurture the affinity space for women and plus-size people, she became an AMGA single pitch instructor to share her love of climbing, and her words to foster more breakthroughs for anybody performing on rock. We talk about her accidental path to an influencer and how she leveraged that to speak for the plus-size community. We also talk about her path to guiding, from being a middle school teacher and a software engineer. I learned many tips from Bennett on how to coach plus-size climbers and ways to promote this podcast on social media too. Now let's dive into this episode. And if you like this show, don't forget to share it with your family and friends. So right now it's take three, and this is a real take. <laughs> no breakfast, no breakfast, no food.、Um, well, listeners probably don't really know that what we are talking about <laughs> because we were doing like the test run. We talk about all about food, but right now we're going to talk about guiding、yep. and career. Yep. So,、um, Bennett, when did we meet? Was it the SPI course? Mm-hmm. That was what two thousand. It was like five years ago, I think, almost. Wow! Yeah, I have known you for this long. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. know what? Like after that, you know, you you left a very special impression、mm. in my mind because you were always happy, high energy. Do you consider yourself that type of person? Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm an extrovert for sure. So in group spaces, I do like. I thrive.、Um, I am definitely not happy all the time. Nobody's happy all the time, for、um, sure. But、yeah. I do, especially on, you know, when I'm excited. I do kind of occupy a niche of like the hype person. The hype person. <laughs> Great, and I, I certainly think that this society needs that、um, as much of that type of energy as possible.、Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't remember wrong, at that time you present yourself that you said that you were a teacher. I yeah, I've had a lot of different jobs. <laughs> yeah, you actually have a website now. Went went up to it. It says you are a teacher, you are an influencer, you are a guide, you are a software engineer. Yeah, so, I did that too. <laughs> do you, do you do all those jobs right now, or you have a main job? Yeah, I mean, so I 
mostly I'm actually guiding right now. Guiding is my primary job right now. And some of the influencer slash model stuff on the side. I was a software engineer for like three or four years, but I quit that to kind of do this more full time. And then I, before I was a software engineer, I was a middle school teacher and I actually have picked up a little bit of substitute teaching work here and there still um, as like ways to fill in the gaps uh, during the school year. I see. So I have two questions mm-hmm. here. So Why do you think, since right now you say you're mostly guiding full time, so mm-hmm. at some point you took the SPI course, mm-hmm. so at some point you want to be a guide, and what made you um, make that decision? And mm-hmm. then the second thing is how all those previous jobs influenced the mm-hmm. decision of like, choosing guide as a, a career. Yeah, I so I actually took the SPI originally. I like got kind of motivated to t- get my SBI because I was running into, I, I strongly believe that um, we learn best from people that we feel reflect our experience. And I was a plus size climber in a world full of not any plus size climbers. And I really wanted to teach more plus size people about climbing. Um, but I had kind of looked into what would it be like for me to try and run programming. And it kind of looked like it would be me working with a guide. And that guide was not going to be plus size because there just weren't any plus size guides. Um, and so then I was like, this isn't really a, an affinity space. If the person that is there for the safety, for the rigging, whatever, it does not actually share that affinity, then it just feels like, you know, an us versus them kind of thing. And I don't know if I totally agree with that anymore, but at the time it was really important for me to um, make sure that the space that I was creating was for people that looked like me by people that looked like me. And so I looked into what it would take to become a guide to like be able to run those programs. And I was like, I guess I got to learn how to trad climb because I, at the time I didn't know how to do any, anything. Um, I was just a sport climber and mostly a gym climber. And uh, that was when I took the SPI, the women's affinity SPI with you in Joshua tree. And then COVID happened and also I just like I didn't know what I was doing and I was really scared so it took me a long time to actually go and take the exam and like start working in the field but originally I wasn't looking to be a guide full-time I was looking to just be able to be the authority in the space when I was teaching people and not have another person be that um, sort of like safety authority I, I wanted to be that um, but then I just really liked the work and so then I wanted to do it more <laughs> So then I became full-time. <laughs> so right now, with you are guiding most of the student plus-size people? Or? No. Okay. No. I, I mostly, I only guide in what I call affinity spaces. Um, partly, that's just because I have enough, like, oppressed identities, let's say, that, like, make it so that I feel pretty unwelcome in dominant spaces right I'm a woman I'm fat I'm queer I just feel like I always feel so different and so outsider when I'm in sort of like normal quote-unquote climbing spaces like I've gone to a couple of like AAC Kragen classics and I just feel like such a fish out of the water that like I don't feel comfortable in those spaces so I only guide in like women's affinity spaces or queer affinity spaces um 
And I have run a couple of plus size only clinics, but most of my guiding actually is just in women's affinity spaces. And then I'm guiding other women, I'm guiding with other women guides, and I just feel a little bit less like people are looking at me and thinking I don't belong. And that could be just me. Like maybe people are not actually looking at me and thinking that, but I feel that way. And so I feel a lot more capable to be my best guiding self if I'm in a space where I don't feel as much of an outsider. I see. I have a question. Mm. So is fat, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned the word fat, mm-hmm. derogatory? I... It can be. I think a lot of, I think, so in my community, I occupy space as a plus size outdoor athlete. And in that community, in the community of plus size people in the outdoors, we use plus size to determine, to kind of talk about the whole group, because that is a phrase that doesn't have as much negative connotation. Nobody was calling us plus size growing up in a mean way. Um, and people did call us fat in a mean way growing up a lot of times. And so, so for some people, fat is not a word that we like to use because it, it feels derogatory. It feels like it has all these painful feelings associated with it. Um, so plus size is kind of like the more safe less um, hurtful alternative, but I use fat and a lot of my friends use fat to self-identify because it feels a little bit like a reclamation, but also it's just a really good descriptor. Like <laughs> plus size just has to do with what the size of the clothes that you wear. It, it like, I it feels sort of adjacent to the fact that my body also is fat and has fat and like people perceive me as fat. And so I would just, I just, it's not a bad word. It's just a word <laughs> for me, but I, I try to be really cognizant of the fact that that's not true for everyone. I see. So, I mean, I personally don't use the word fat because to be honest, just like you said, traditionally we think fat has some like negative connotation. Mm-hmm. So, but I just curious about the, the plus size. So mm-hmm. plus size is more like a neutral. More neutral. But I think like, why does fat have that negative connotation? It's because as a society, we think that being fat is bad. And like, I'm never not going to be fat probably. Like, I guess I could get something, but like, I've been fat my whole life and I'm probably going to be fat my whole life. And like that, it just is what it is. And I don't want to be, I don't want fat to be a bad word because I don't want being fat to be a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Uh, the only thing I can think of is I'm curious whether there will be some health related mm-hmm. thing because with, we all know that climbing is like strength and weight ratio mm-hmm. uh, issues. So potentially you can have more um, stress on your joints. Would that be a possibility? The, the only reason I ask this is because um, sometimes I do have plus size um, climbers. So I'm like trying to think a, a better way to encourage them mm. and to move their body because I'm a in quote more average size mm-hmm. person. So for me, it's a little bit hard for me to imagine what mm-hmm. does that feel for them. So if they were struggling um, clients, I'm thinking the technique might be a little bit different. It is, 100%. First off, um, so you said you're a more average size person. Actually, in the United States, the average woman is a size 16. So oh, okay. I'm more average than you are. Then we, I'm the minority? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, not the minority. But you are definitely not the minority in climbing or in athletic spaces. But you are what we call straight size, which is the... Straight um, size. Yeah, because in, in clothing manufacturing, straight size is the like 
small to large and then plus size is like 1x 2x 3x like so okay. that's what we're talking about in those things so i would call you a straight size person oh i never heard of that term. <laughs> okay. yeah it's new new vocabulary like sometimes you know people would say like skinny or thin or whatever but those words also kind of get used to be mean right people uh, say okay. like oh you're too skinny ting ting you need to eat more whatever and people have all of these like these negative connotations from being called these words and so that's why we use straight size and plus size and then there's no there's no like oh you're normal size or your average size because the truth is that the average size person in the united states is plus size and that you know is relatively new in history but it is what is happening right now and i think that you brought up this concept of health and i mean first of all i'm pretty healthy like i'm I'm an actual athlete. I like, I can really keep up with straight size people and my joints are great and I do get injured, but so does everybody. And like, I don't, I haven't noticed any adverse impacts. So when people, we call it um, health trolling or concern trolling, when people are like, oh, I'm just worried about your health because you're fat and like, that's going to mean that you don't live longer. I would challenge you to say that like one, other people's health is not super your concern. And two, um, a lot of the medical establishment that says that like being fat is unhealthy, like that is, is one, why, <laughs> sorry, let me like recollect. A lot of that medical establishment is based on fat phobic principles of understanding. And also I think a lot of times ignores that like if people are unhealthy because they are fat, usually there's also other factors. They are poor. They have poor access to healthcare. They have all of these other compounding factors. And so it might not just be because they're fat. It's because they have lack of access. They live in a food desert. So all they have access to is fast food. So they're just not eating very well. And like maybe if they were eating really well and fat, they would actually be healthier. And so I'm not a doctor. I'm not in the medical field, but in my community, we definitely talk about health at any size, like try to be healthy in the size that you are right now and don't focus on losing weight as the way to make yourself healthy. Focus on being healthy first. And then also just sort of nobody owes you healthy. <laughs> like there are people that are ill that aren't fat and like we don't make them live their lives any differently because of that. Um, and so if, if somebody has a disability or an illness and they also happen to be fat, like I'm going to just treat them the same as I would anyone else. Um, so I think all of that to say, like, those are some things that we talk about in my community, how that relates to climbing. Um, I definitely climb differently than straight size people. 100%. It's really, I actually think it's really interesting. I'll go to the like bouldering gym and I'll go with most of my friends are straight size that climb and they'll do a problem and I'll go up there and I will climb it completely differently, but we'll both get to the top. Right. Right. And part of, I think part of the beauty of climbing is that there's so many different styles and there's so much technique and beta that you can do to make it work for you and I mean some of your previous interviewees like they talk about like oh I'm not very good at overhang but I was able to use my flexibility and like my hip mobility to like make the overhang work for me but like most other people seem to be sort of powering their way through it and like it's basically the same thing but for me I'm using techniques that work for me. And that meant like, actually (laughs) hip mobility is pretty important. I'm, I have to do a lot more management of my body weight to keep it close to the wall. So I have to drop knee and rotate more than a straight size climber would often. Um, I do a lot more like stemming and other kinds of like pushing instead of pulling because I am not as strong 
strength to weight ratio wise for a pull up, whatever. Um, and then I also find, and this is something because I work with a lot of plus size people, I find that plus size people tend to be better and more confident on slab. And I have a theory that it's because on slab, it's a lot about how much weight you're driving through your rubber to like you know, make pressure into that rock. And we have a lot more weight than other people do. And so it's just easier for us to dig through those shoes and stay on the wall in slab. And so often I find that plus size climbers enjoy slab more and are actually better at it. And like the technique is more intuitive. So, and then also one last one, I'm an off with climber. I really love off with climbing. And it's kind of feels like a superpower sometimes when people are like, Oh, I hate fours. And I'm like, Fours are exactly my like Rosie the Riveter size because I've got fat upper arms. And so I just <laughs> shove them in there and they stick and everybody else is like, why? I can't figure this out. And I'm like, maybe have you tried being wider? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's good to know. I always know like even say all the straight size mm-hmm. uh, climbers, they attack like one, tackle one problem mm-hmm. in a very different ways. Totally. Yeah. So, so definitely like you climbing, I think the beauty of climbing is try to work in environment, um, thinking in how your body is capable totally. with to solve the problem mm-hmm. that present to you. So it's kind of nice you was talking about maybe it's much easier or more advan- advantage for say plus people to push mm-hmm. and put weight on their feet or may and then they can climb like wider cracks mm-hmm. and so I was just trying to like take notes mm-hmm. so that next time if I see another plus climb I just like oh okay I know that um what challenges they can have and then what they will be good at so Mm-hmm. You know, because when you select objective, you want to be challenging, but it's not impossible. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think it is definitely like a lot of plus size people not only start and, and have a harder time with climbs right off the bat just because they're, you know, maybe needing more pull strength than they have or whatever. Um, and I think a lot of beginner climbers kind of get away with pulling too hard on things before they learn how to use their feet. And plus size people can't really get away with that because we can't pull harder, you know? Right. So you have to develop the techniques. You have to develop the techniques at the get go. Yeah, for sure. And then I think, I think the other thing I do want to say is that I think if you're a plus size person, you accumulate so much trauma being in athletic spaces and being treated like you don't belong and being, Mm -hmm. um, treated like you shouldn't be there or even sort of there's sort of like the the model fatty where you're like okay well good you're running on the treadmill that means you're there to lose weight and so just like athletic spaces can be really traumatic and have a lot of trauma associated with them for fat people and so then you go to a climbing space where you're the only fat person and you're already predisposed to think that everybody's watching you and judging you and thinking that you can't do it and then you go and you can't do it and then it just sort of like confirms and reaffirms all of this like trauma that you've experienced that that is also really hard to overcome and I think like when I took my SPI exam actually like I had a horrible day the first day with the technical stuff and I know my technical stuff like I've got it dialed but I totally flubbed the like three to one raise um, portion just because I was feeling so judged by my examiner that I like got flooded and I felt like oh my god everybody's looking at me and knowing that I can't do this and that they I don't belong here and like Maybe my examiner wasn't thinking any of those things, but I, in my body, I was thinking those things. And then I was like, I can't do this and I'm failing. And and then, and then all of a sudden I was flubbing it. And I think that like that 
true for a lot of our clients as well if they like get into that space where they're feeling judged even if we're not judging them so one of the ways that we can make those spaces safer not only is like teaching technique right off the bat but also just like thinking about ways to make those people feel seen and encouraged um right off the bat and make them feel like they're succeeding right off the bat and just like you said with objective like what picking objectives that feel more doable so as a minority well i mean you I think everybody can be a minority at some point. Mm-hmm. You always struggle that because you are a minority, so you have you can't stand mm-hmm. out. So you feel that people's eyes on you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, maybe not. Maybe totally. They're open. They're encouraging. They want to help. But then, as a minority member, you can't rule out the possibility. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of mental energy that you have to consume. Totally. So I was wondering over the years, because a lot of times I just encourage myself, oh, and I think the people are looking at me failing or struggling. Mm-hmm. I have to do a, like a little self-talk. Well, if I'm struggling, it means I'm learning mm-hmm. and I'm trying hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, Nobody really care about you. <laughs> yeah. uh, people care about themselves totally. mostly. That's like a, a, a scientific fact. One hundred percent. Right. So, how's your coping mechanism when you because you really want to become or in a good mental space so mm-hmm. then you can perform. Mm-hmm. So I have two ways of dealing this with this. Um, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just it's one swear word. I call it "fuck you" confidence. Okay. Which is um, I'm a very oppositional person. I'm you know. I like to challenge the status quo. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes when I'm in a mood where I'm feeling like everyone is judging me and nobody thinks I should be there, even if they don't think those things, if I feel like I'm in a space where I feel like people think I shouldn't be there, I bring on my fuck you confidence, which is like, you know what? Screw you. I do belong here. And like I kind of gas myself up to be like... I'm the best, actually, and you guys don't even know. <laughs> like that kind of a little bit of like rage confidence. It's a little bit of a like I freaking belong here, and you're wrong. Like that kind of oppositional energy can kind of bring me out of it instead of being like, oh, "Woe is me! I don't belong here, and I feel really left out." Um, but sometimes that doesn't work, and that doesn't work for all people. Um, so I definitely also just try to remind myself that like what other people think about me doesn't matter as much as what I think about me. And I don't know. I think I think there's just many different ways to reaffirm for yourself that you belong. And part of that is finding spaces um, with other people that feel like they reflect you. And that can be affinity space. That can be like finding other people that look and talk and act like you. But it also could just be like finding friends that support you <laughs> and finding workplaces that support you. Um and then, yeah, just sort of reminding yourself, like, no, I, I deserve to be here. I belong. And um, and maybe today I don't feel very good, but that's okay. Not every day has to be perfect. <laughs> then let's come back to the previous question I was mm-hmm. asking about your previous mm-hmm. jobs, mm-hmm. that all those various jobs, teacher, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, software engineer, mm-hmm. that how does it affect, is that because you were sick of those things or you want to get a change style so to enter guiding um, in addition to you think the guiding community has a need to have a plus size instructor, mm-hmm. or you actually quite enjoy the 
those positions, but then you just kind of you have so much fun guiding, then they just kind of drift into guiding more. Yeah, I think so. I, I was a teacher for a long time, and I really enjoyed that. But I wasn't getting paid very much, so I became a software engineer to get paid more. And I really did not like being a software engineer. Um, and then at the same time that I was ramping up my software engineering like career that lasted very short period of time, <laughs> um, I was building this following on Instagram and like kind of building a uh, space for myself in the outdoor community. And I got to a point where I was getting enough interest and enough work in the guiding space, in the modeling space, in the influencer space. And that felt like I was actually having an impact. Like it still happens to me almost weekly where people get in my Instagram DMs and say like, hey, I just tried climbing for the first time. I didn't know anybody that looked like me could do this. Like, thank you so much. You've inspired me. And like that is just it feels really good when people tell you that like you've had an impact on them versus software engineering where I just felt like I was not having any positive. I just, I was like the stuff I was working on felt so meaningless and the work was just so like, I don't know, rote. So I, I quit the software engineering world to kind of pursue this more amalgam career because I, I felt like I was having an impact and <laughs> I'm one of those hopeless millennials that were all told that we needed to have a career that like has meaning. And I definitely am in that. <laughs> so you start as a teacher first mm -hmm. and then because it didn't pay as much mm -hmm. as you expected mm -hmm. and, and software engineering pays More. <laughs> money, money, money. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then guiding also doesn't pay no. that much. No. It turned out I didn't like making money just to make money. I thought I might, but I didn't. I mean, true. <laughs> I mean, they, they were saying that you, you definitely need enough money. Oh, yeah. Right? But once you uh, surpass a certain level, then money doesn't give you a lot more happiness. No. Um, but the thing is, uh, I know a lot of people, I mean, me included, we really think guiding It's a little bit hard to be a sustainable career for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Money definitely is the first thing because usually working for so many different companies, you do you get health benefits no. from any of them? So you <laughs> kind of have to shop for your own, yep. right? So that's a very common thing. And then this is kind of curious. Compare teaching and guiding. Which one pays better? Oh, teaching paid better, for sure. Okay, a little um, bit more security, right? A lot more security and, like, uh, benefits and whatnot. It it was not a lot better. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> I was working for um, private schools, not public schools. Public schools, you can usually make a pretty livable wage. I was making, like, I think thirty-seven or $35,000 a year eight years ago, and I'm not even close to making that on guiding <laughs> a see. year yeah. now. And then certainly a lot of people enter guiding because uh, they are either passionate about climbing mm -hmm. or somebody like you. I, I've seen quite a few now. They feel that the uh, instructor space need a different mm -hmm. type of instructors so mm -hmm. they can serve their communities. Totally. So, and I think that's a legitimate reason. But I think at some point we'll start to think about meaning is good, but we still need to have base level of income. Mm -hmm. you, You, you think right now you think it's sustainable for... No, I think the only reason I can afford to be a guide more or less full-time is that I take on a couple of like influencer or model gigs here and there, and those help me pay my rent. But if I, if I wanted to be a guide full-time, I'd have to move into my car full-time. 
I see. Yeah, and I also certainly know a lot of guys living their vehicle. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. I think guiding is very fulfilling. It is. It's very interesting, and then you help a lot of people. You build community and everything. So I'm not trying to talk down guiding. Yeah. I'm actually asking you this question to try and brainstorm the whether we can be creative to making a guiding a more sustainable profession. Mm-hmm. So you saying that you are combining that with your influencing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you are the first one that I have interviewed. Has mm-hmm. even on your website, you say you have moderate following, but I think you have a huge following. <laughs> so, <laughs> can, can you just tell about the story of that journey? Yeah. How that start? How long did it take? And how this did it make you feel? And how much workload that you are doing on that thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I did not. I did not. Uh, start out like intending to become an influencer to be very clear like that was never like the goal that was never a plan I just started posting online about my body and being me in the spaces that I was occupying and it resonated with people Um, I like I talk sometimes about how I had this photo probably six years ago um, that got picked up by Flash Foxy kind of early in the Flash Foxy days too, there was just me climbing without a shirt on. I had just had a sports bra on. And like the comments in the um, in the comment section were like, wow, I've never seen somebody that looks like me on one of these mainstream climbing pages. This is so rad. And like, oh yeah, fat girls climb. Woohoo. <laughs> didn't say woohoo, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and I think that that kind of made me realize like, oh, there's a lot of other people out there that feel the way that I do, which is that like, we don't see ourselves in these spaces. And so then we feel really alone. So if I put myself out there publicly as a fat person in these spaces, then other people will see that it's possible. And then maybe I won't be the only one in these spaces anymore that like, there will be more and more people that realize like how possible it is for us to do what we do. And, um, that just has kind of built over time. And, and I, I get, um, I sometimes get deals with brands to, from, for like a lot of different things. Sometimes it's just like, Hey, we'll pay you some money to promote this thing on your page. But then I also work with brands like Outdoor Research with like, I'm like a part of their design process too. Like I talk to them about what my needs are and they make clothes and I test the clothes and I say, this worked really well, but this thing needs to be tweaked. And, you know, and then I also do like modeling for their marketing and stuff. So it's, you know, it can go from pretty small relationships to pretty big and complicated relationships. And those relationships also built over time. Like I started working with outdoor research four years ago, maybe, um, when they started thinking about opening their plus lines and I wasn't getting paid originally. It was just kind of like they wanted to talk to plus size mountaineers and I happened to be a plus size mountaineer. Um, so I think like it took a really long time to build to where it is now. And it is now I have a big enough platform that people know a little bit about me and I do get work from just kind of existing on the internet, but I do have to keep it up. Like it is a job and I do feel like I owe my platform some amount of myself. And that means that I have to create content that's not just sponsored content. And I have to um, engage with people and answer DMs. And I, and, and I don't, it's not really a have to, like, I do want to do it. I'm doing it. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't still giving me anything. Cause I don't ultimately don't care that much about being an influencer. I care about being uh, a force 
<laughs> in my community and I care about up- uplifting people and like I do that by answering people's questions. I do that by putting myself out there and showing what's possible. And I do that by trying to like open doors that felt really closed to me. So by saying like, I need a raincoat that fits and, or let's talk about rain pants because I started working for this middle school uh, eight years ago and I was working their snowshoeing program and I went to REI to try on snow pants and I had to wear the largest men's size rain pants that were available with like a fleece underneath and they didn't fit and they felt really uncomfortable and they didn't breathe at all and it was so bad. And then you know, now eight years later, like you can go, people that are my size can walk into an REI and find rain pants that have zips and vents and actually fit over boots. And like, that's really cool. And that's really incredible. So I'm opening those doors to make it feel more accessible. But you know, we've got a long way to go. I'm not saying that, you know, it's perfect. But I do feel like some of the work that I do in this influencer space is intentionally I I use the money that I make on that platform also to just sustain the way that I can continue to have impact on that platform. And right now it helps supplement my guiding income to the point where I can pay my rent. (laughs) When did you start to just say, I'm going to share my story about plus size being Mm -hmm. outdoor. Um, Can you trace back? I think it was about six years ago. Okay, So it took almost six years to build to where I'm at. Well, but you didn't just uh, start um, making income right now. No. So <laughs> when did you start? Maybe get a little idea. Yeah, sure. I uh, I made a little bit of income probably three years ago. Last year, I made a more sizable amount of income. And But when I say influencer stuff, it's not just influencing. It's not just um, like putting up sponsored posts on my Instagram. It's also companies pay me to model, but they often find me through my Instagram. So it's, they're related, but they're not exactly the same. Right. Right. Um, So I started making some money off of that last year. You know, I I like don't even have the figures off the top of my head, but a couple thousand dollars, not lots of thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. but enough to kind of supplement things. And then this year I'm kind of in that same, like I'm making enough money to kind of substitute to like bring me up to a more livable wage. But it's, it's in the like, three to ten thousand dollar range rather than right. you know making I wouldn't be able to live off of either of these jobs alone mm-hmm. and then how do you align like when you have say a sponsor content mm-hmm. like, how do you align your original submission for your um, mm-hmm. sharing with their um, company's goal you know yeah right I mean so I always think critically about the jobs that I take on. They have to be aligned in some way. Um, I think that interestingly, I get a lot of sponsored content for hiking related stuff, but I'm not actually that much of a hiker. Like I'm definitely more of a climber than I am a hiker. That, so there's like a little bit of misalignment there, but not critically, (laughs) you know, it doesn't feel like a bad thing to promote Mm -hmm. hiking. I I feel okay about that. Um, But yeah, I'll have brands that reach out and that I won't work with because I don't like the way that they treat people or I don't like what they do. And then sometimes I work with brands that I do think have some problematic history, but like I need the money and it like isn't, I don't know, I kind of try and do some mental gymnastics around like Am I okay with supporting this right now? And then sometimes I support brands and then I find out later, like, oh, did you know that this, 
you know, brand is, is busing unions or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, damn, <laughs> like, I'm not okay with that, but I just put up this thing. So it is complicated. I think there's no, um, perfectly ethical way to earn money under capitalism. I think there's always <laughs> problems. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. So the, um, Trace Bad, remember this one time people were in the climbing space, people were talking about the brand Eddie Bauer dropped their Astley. Mm-hmm. And I actually see two sides of the view. Mm-hmm. Um, one just like, well, how can they like drop their Astley, you know, blah, 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 and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one was saying that, hey, look, company needs to make a profit and uh, so influencer if they can sell more say jackets then probably for them their cost is like low why do they have to say um just be a goodwill to sponsor those athletes Mm -hmm. and then i also heard some of you say well look social media also help the traditional marginalized group to have a voice and mm-hmm. stance because it's very hard to say if you are say seeing us in a minority group to pass the majority media's gatekeeper mm-hmm. to get your voice heard so totally. what, what, i actually seen you talking about this a little bit um totally. can you yeah add some comment on this i think the eddie batter story was so complicated because i think that like they dropped their more expensive elite guide athletes for a lot of reasons, not just because they were like, "Oh, influencers are better." You know? So you mean that's then, a simplified? The, I think it. I, I think it got simplified to be a sort of a like, like a, the does the outdoor in, yeah. The athlete, yeah, yeah, and I don't think it was. I don't actually think that at the root cause it was that, but I do think that um, the conversation that came up, which was clearly something that people had been thinking for a while, was like. Why do we support influencers instead of supporting athletes? Athletes are actually pushing the sport ahead and influencers are just doing it for the money. And I think that that to me, I got pretty angry about that because I was like, if you actually look at the quote unquote influencers that Eddie Bauer kept on, most of them weren't even influencers. They're community organizers. They're people that are like getting more people into the sport. And so it, totally makes sense that these brands want to support people who are inspiring lots of people to get into the sport and maybe buy their stuff versus people who are just doing it for their their goals and their gain um and and i think that many people are inspired by many different things and historically it seems like you know we are inspired by these pro climbers that are pushing the absolute grade of the sport but i think that like when you don't feel reflected by the people that are pushing this absolute grade of the sport, you're less likely to be inspired to participate in the sport. And we are seeing more and more that people are inspired by people that are more relatable. That like, I'm inspired to do something when I see somebody that looks like me doing it rather than I see, right? Like I'm also inspired by Lynn Hill, like totally inspiring but like I'm never gonna do what she did and so then I kind of feel like well it's not possible for me but if I see somebody doing what I'm doing and that is like a lot more similar to me I'm like hmm maybe that is possible maybe I should kind of go for it and I think that it's valuable to foster both sides of that inspiration I think that we should be paying you know these pro level athletes that are pushing the sport but I think we should also be paying people who are bringing pushing the sport forward on the front of diversity and and I also think that like climbing has changed so much in the last 20 years that like 
how cool is it that like there's so many new and interesting ways to be involved in climbing and that like just climbing 514 isn't the only way to be involved in climbing. Certainly. I don't think I'll ever climb 514. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many cool things to do in climbing and there's so many cool ways that we could bring it into so many different things and all, all these youth that are like training for the Olympics now. And that's like kind of not even very close to the kind of climbing that I do. Like what they do is gymnastics sometimes. And, you know, I think, I think it's cool that we are developing this really diverse and really complicated new sport. And I think that these brands are just reacting to that. True. I think just like you said, the climbing can be, you just want to have fun in the outdoors mm-hmm. or you want to make it more gymnastics mm-hmm. that you want to climb really hard. So mm-hmm. that's why all this training thing. Mm-hmm. So, or you just want, so there people have different goals totally. in terms of the climbing. So in all the aspects, they need to, I kind of like to have some role model. Definitely. Right? So Across the board. There's not just one way for to success. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think that's another typical of a stereotyping thing. Just like, oh, fat is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Then there was just an inferences that people just kind of trying to please the the public so they can ding ding ching ching right <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. but i think i mean i'm not gonna lie to you there are definitely influencers out there that are just doing it for the money well, the ching-ching. but like <laughs> and whatever you do you like right. if that works for you that but that's never what i've been doing it for and it's not what a lot of my friends that are in that quote-unquote influencer space it's not what they're doing it for they're doing it to build community and to try and like make the sport more accessible to different kinds of people and i think that is worth supporting sure yeah certainly <laughs> So I know that some seniors guys told me that, you know, now being a guide, you need to make sure that you also have a good social media mm-hmm. presence, right? <laughs> so actually all the guy services are like, oh, you know, we need photo, we need you to say something mm-hmm. on the Instagram. So mm-hmm. they experience all sorts of different ways to gain the traction of followership. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly take photo of my client because they want me. Yeah. To take photo. Totally. Right? Especially, you know, if you got a multi-pitch and then mm-hmm. you are actually at a better angle to oh, yeah. shoot photos. I get up on a fixed line. I often I, I, get yeah, up on the fixed line exactly, on a single pitch. Right. Yeah. So, and I understand that, that <laughs> aspect. And then since I already taken picture, I'm, I might as well share it on my Instagram. But I'm not like blow by blow doing that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you probably share your guiding too, since you're already very familiar with this platform. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? How important is that? A like very good tool, or, no? or is a necessary yeah. tool for a guy to yeah be able to have a good presence on? I mean, I think you have to have some presence on the internet, and it doesn't have to be social media, but it needs to be like Google reviews or a website or something. Like, I think that if you have no presence on the internet, people that don't know you personally are going to be like, this is sus, <laughs> right? Like, but I, and I, and I think that Instagram and TikTok and all of these things can be a really good way of monetizing. I think that Lizzie Van Patten with She Moves Mountains has proven that you can completely build an, uh, a guide service off of basically Instagram ads and like making people think that looks really beautiful. That looks really fun. I want to do that. I'm going to sign up. We often hear that. I work for She Moves Mountains and, and we hear that from our clients all the time. I came because I saw an ad on Instagram and it looked really cool. Um, so you can completely build a platform off of Instagram. However, I don't think you need to. I think a lot of guiding can still operate in sort of the traditional word of mouth way or in the like 
I'm going to X, Y, and Z places. So I'm going to look up and see if there's a climbing guiding service in the area. And then I'm going to just go and work with them or return clients or friends of friends or whatever. Um, but I think that like having a public profile can help you seem more legit. And I think it can also be a way of, um, being, a more whole human presence. And that requires some vulnerability, which like not everybody wants to do on the internet. But I think that the reason people resonate with me on the internet is because I am like a whole vulnerable person. And I say like, I'm struggling with this or I'm really excited about this or whatever. And honestly, I don't actually think I get that much guiding work off of my Instagram because a a lot of that platform is just more about like being outside and it's not so much about like, this is the guiding work that I do. You should come in and um, work with me. I think sometimes that is true, but I think most of the time I'm just being a vulnerable human that's saying this is what's happening with me and people resonate with that. And I think that some of the people like, I think Mary Eden is a really good example. Trad princess on Instagram has built like the crack camp kind of thing off of just being like a stoked person who talks about her climbing on the internet. And then is like, Hey, if you want to get stoked to climb some stuff with me, come and take one of my clinics. And I think that that can be a super effective way of building that. But I think it doesn't necessarily need to have, I know so many guide friends who have very full schedules and they never are on Instagram. So I don't think you need it, but I do think it can help. And this is the way I see, I can see it as a, say a business point of view. They mm-hmm. say, okay, we need to have a presence because marketing and outreach is always part totally. of that business philosophy. Mm-hmm. But in terms of individual guides, like I certainly like the people who say, oh, Tintin, I would like to go with you. Mm-hmm. But I just don't like to talk about myself. I don't think you need much. to. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, because I was just like, oh, yeah, look, you know how great right now. It's a perfect season right here and blah, blah, blah. Or I want to talk about something useful. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. But in a way, I'm also, because I'm not, I'm not developing my social media. So right now with my podcast, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to change my perspective. Mm. Um, not saying that I want to have a huge following because it's also not about me. It's actually just because it's not just about me. Mm-hmm. So I actually wanted mm-hmm. to reach out to more people, mm-hmm. interview all these amazing people. Mm-hmm. Then they have uh, amazing advice and stories to mm-hmm. share. So hopefully, you know, more people can hear about that. So you think that I should like invest some more time on, on this thing or what's what's your idea or suggestion that what how I, think, I can start? Yeah, stuff? I think if you don't like doing social media and you try to force yourself to do social media, <laughs> it kind of shows like, like yeah, okay, you know, you're I think, oh, you're, yeah, you don't like to do it. I see. Yeah, it. I mean, I think you can always tell when somebody is like trying to force a social media presence to happen because they're like, I want my business to be more popular. So here I am doing content and, and I'm kind of like. If you hate it, don't do it. (laughs) Like, there are other ways to... I mean, I think having... Again, it's like having a presence, right, helps. So that you have, like, a website to send people to or whatever. But I think that there are still, like, really organic ways of doing it. And you can also leave some of that publicity stuff to the people in your community who like doing the publicity stuff, right? Like, I am going to promote this episode on my Instagram and, like, that will probably bring people to the podcast. Um, And I don't mind doing that because I actually really like social media. I don't think you have to have a social media presence. 
if you like being on there, you like the way that that communication happens, if you feel like you're not reaching the people that you need to reach, then like maybe it is worth investing some time into. But I think that the people that do it really well, they do it really well because they like it, not because like they're just like geniuses at social Mm -hmm. media or whatever. You get good at it because you spend time on it and you learn how it works and you figure out how to like reach more people. And so if you don't like that, like don't waste your time. (laughs) I'm true. I mean, I still enjoy doing these interviews and I talking with people like you. But I just like I want more people to like listen like to your conversation. So yeah, but can you leverage? Like, I think it's like can you leverage the existing community that you have outside of social media? Could you leverage like okay. could you get it in a newsletter from the AMGA or like whatever? Just sure. sort of like get it out in different ways. Or I, don't, I was talking to a friend recently who was like, I collect the emails of all of my clients, and then I send them out like a quarterly or biannual newsletter of like here's what I'm doing and because she's more of a copywriter so she's like here's some projects that I'm stoked on here's what I've been up to if you want to book a day with me like please let me know and like I think that's a kind of an interesting way that some people really do resonate more with like email marketing versus Instagram there's so many different ways to do it and I think leveraging whatever community you have that feels meaningful to you is so much more valuable than like trying to force yourself to learn how to market when you're not a marketer and you don't actually want to <laughs> true yeah I better use my time wisely and then yeah yeah just like you said I yeah. do things that I like totally yeah. I'm not trying to say the Instagram is a waste of time it's just not things I really enjoy doing a totally. whole lot um, and I'm not very good at this. <laughs> yeah. So you are guiding full time mostly now for how long? I quit my software job in May of last year and then promptly tore my meniscus on a backpacking with middle schoolers trip and <laughs> was out for most of the summer. So I've been guiding more or less full time since the fall. Um, so almost a year, like three seasons. Um, and, but I have been guiding for two and a half years, um, but just was more intermittent. I see. We, we have talked about our challenges. What's the best part of guiding? Oh, <laughs> I love the breakthroughs. I the just breakthroughs. love it when somebody like, I, so I work a lot of, um, like weekend things where you get clients for multiple days and it's really cool when they show up on the first day and they're terrified and they like don't want to let go of the wall and they're crying and they only get 10 feet off the ground and then at the end of the weekend they're just like cruising things and they totally get it or like the way that people pick up belaying and like at first it feels really scary and weird and then like it becomes like riding a bike it's second nature and um I love teaching people skills um I've been doing been doing one of these things with a guide company where we sort of do like weeknight things. So um, in Seattle, 45 minutes outside of Seattle is this crag called Exit 38. It is not a spectacular crag by any means, but it's a place where a lot of people learn. And so we'll, you know, every twice a month, we'll go out there in the evenings with the same group of people. And I get to like watch these people learn skills over the course of a whole summer. And, you know, now they know how to lead. Now they know how to clean anchors. We like last time we did some crack climbing and trad placement. And it's just like cool to watch people go through that progression and learn and have these breakthroughs and feel stoked about the things that I'm stoked about. I love that. It's so empowering. And like, yeah, I feel like I remember learning these things and being inspired and stoked by them. So like seeing other people do that, it just feels really like 
Full circle. Nice. <laughs> and how about the challenging part, except for well, you can pay better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never worked a job with my body this way before. Like, I've got this weird shoulder thing that's coming up because I think it's belaying is causing it. Like, I'm、oh, yeah, belaying too much. Oh yeah, I have an old shoulder thing too. If I'm pulling a rope. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah, and I just feel kind of wrecked all the time. And then I, and then I think also like, this was a thing that I was worried about all along. Was like, when you turn your hobby into your job, does it make it less fun to do as your hobby? And I am finding that like. I don't really feel inspired by going out to go cragging anymore because I do cragging all the time for my job. Oh, it's already <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when I, I feel like I want to just go out and do like multi pitches or whatever because it's not the thing that I do all the time for my job.、Um, and you know, who knows? I, I'm also in a season right now where I've been working really like a lot. I've been working a lot and I'm feeling a little burnt out.、Um, not. Catastrophically, but a little bit. And、um, this week, <laughs> I took a couple of days to go and do some kind of more adventure climbing for me to try and reinvigorate some inspiration. I was like, I am kind of exhausted, and I probably could use a break, like physically, but I am at the end of my inspiration well, so I need to go and like fill that cup up.、Um, so yeah, that's kind of definitely an issue, even only. I guess a year into it, I do feel a little bit of like, wow,、yeah. I do the same thing over and over, and this is a little fatiguing. <laughs> Certainly,、uh, the body wear injury prevention, I think, is a big topic for、mm-hmm. in the guy community.、Mm-hmm. So I'm planning to、uh, interview physical therapists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, some、need. prevention and then some,、uh, what's that say, prehab and、yeah. and stuff,、yeah. right? And then also like scheduling, so then you can. Be a hundred percent at the work, but then you can also have your own time doing the things you used、mm-hmm. to enjoy、mm-hmm. too. Because a lot of people love being outside,、mm-hmm. climbing with friends. So that's that's the reason they want to yeah. be、uh, yeah. in the road to see people、right. have similar experience, right?、Totally. So you were talking about the full full circle. So、yeah. I think those are like a, a two common thing. Yeah, and another thing is、um, to. To be creative too, so you don't rely on guiding as your full、um, mm-hmm. profession. I mean,、yeah. some somebody certainly make it work. Totally. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, as I'm like getting older and older, so I'm like still thinking about some alternatives. Yeah.、Uh, what What else can we do? Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to be the kind of person like I've had a lot of careers and I'm only thirty. Like I don't know if I'm ever going to be the kind of person that's like this is the thing I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I think that like having a variety of things also just keeps me feeling inspired. <laughs> and, and I certainly feel the well. I don't know which generation they feel like for have one job for their whole life、mm-hmm. is、uh, virtual maybe.、Mm-hmm. But I think later generations, whereas your generation probably don't think that way. No, right?、Yeah. So I've seen people have anchor job and supplement with other little gigs and jobs、totally. to, to make still has a core value, but then it's not just like one type of yeah, job. Yeah, totally. And so, do you see you maybe in a few years you want you will switch to other <laughs> jobs? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like right now. The grind is real, and like I'm feeling, you know, a little broke all the time, which I don't love. And I 
definitely feel like I'm on the road more than I want to be. Like, I think I've spent a lot of time living out of my car and I'm like, I'm paying rent. Why am I living out of my car? <laughs> like, maybe I should just leave my apartment, but I love my apartment. And so um, I think I would love to find some kind of way to balance all this out that um, removes some of that travel necessity. And I know that I've settled in Washington and rock climbing guiding in Washington is so mostly you, a summer activity. So so, so where, where do you pay rent? Where is Seattle. Oh, Seattle. Yeah. Wow, that's probably... It's so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I have this apartment that I've lived in for 10 years and I just don't... Where exactly in Seattle? In Wallingford. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I love it there so much. And every time I come home, like I'm so grateful to come home when I've been on the road for a while and I'm like oh, my couch I can walk down to the bakery I can like launch my paddleboard at Gasworks Park like I just love my neighborhood I love my apartment and I am not really ready to give up on it so I have to figure out some way to like square that circle <laughs> I'd love to be home a little bit more <laughs> I certainly am. Yeah, I used to live in my van, you know, mm -hmm. and now I have two cats. I just want to be home and cuddle with them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, different face, you have different needs mm -hmm. for sure. So, you mm -hmm. kind of have to balance. Uh, so, I mean, but I think I'm now a foreigner of changing jobs. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I, who knows where the winds will take me at the moment. This is working. Um, but I definitely don't know if I will be doing the same thing for the next 10 years, like mm -hmm. I probably will not be doing the same thing for the next 10 years. And then you were, oh, back then when we just started, yeah. you were saying that it took you a while to take the exam of oh, the yeah. SPI exam to, yeah, was this still because the same issue? I mean, like plus size, so you feel being judged or? Yeah, I mean, yes. I think really the so the um the fear that I have and this is a problem that I encounter a lot and the thing is that I've I've got I got a lot to say. <laughs> I, the reason I was afraid to take the exam is leading on gear, but just leading in general. I am not a strong leader. Leading, but you only lead need climbing. to lead like five six. Yeah, right? but five six even then it was really hard. I think like I am not a strong climber. I think. Not to toot my own horn. I think I'm a very good guide. I think I'm a very good teacher. You know, middle school teaching background. I've like, I think I'm very good at teaching skills. And I think I'm good at inspiring people. Um, I'm a very safety oriented person, but I am not a hard climber. Like SPI is the instructor. It's totally. SPI. Exactly. Instructor. Which I think that's the most important part of my job, honestly, mm -hmm. is safety and instruction. And it's not. Can you climb 510? Uh, I can't. <laughs> the truth is, is I can't climb 510. And when I was learning to trad climb, climbing 5'6 even was just scary. It was not too difficult for me, but I was just scared. And I, I think also because I'm plus size, I'm often like almost 100 pounds heavier than my belayers. Mm -hmm. And when I was a sport climber, I was using this device called an ohm. Yeah. And that made me feel a lot more confident. But when you trad climb, you can't use the ohm because it's not, it like needs a multi-directional piece. And so then all of a sudden I just was like, I can't fall. Basically I'm free soloing everything. Like this is really terrifying. And then I think also just like the concept of people judging me, like the movement standard in those exams is that like somebody is watching you lead and top rope and even though it's quote-unquote easy grades I was just like being judged by somebody watching you climb just freaked me out 
Yeah, I I told my uh, told SPI candidate when I was doing the assessment, say I hope you don't find me intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to be intimidating. Well, I wouldn't. I don't think I would have found you intimidating, but my my examiner was very intimidating. Okay. <laughs> I just felt like he was judging me so hard, but just I just feel judged. Yeah, all yeah. the time. True. Even if nobody is actually judging me,、mm-hmm, I feel、mm-hmm. it. Great. Yeah.、Um, but anyway, congratulations. Obviously, you are guiding right now, so you passed. Yeah, I passed barely. Oh my god, <laughs> I cried. This is the the other funny thing is that I took the exam with two other women, and the、um, great the, you got two other women, I, which is why I did it. I like signed up. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm just going to do it. And the、um, the provider was also training another like provider. Uh, in training、okay. or whatever,、yeah. so there were two men watching three women, and we、oh, all—okay,、uh, so it was, was it small.、Oh, mm-hmm. Wow! So you got a good ratio. Good ratio, very good ratio. Felt very observed,、um, and all three of us cried. All maybe, three of us, the women, cried. Maybe that's why you have they... all this stress because the ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah who knows? Know.、Yeah. But definitely, the guy who was observing us was like. What is even happening? Like, I do not think he'd had three women, all of whom cried. Like, I don't think that, that was new for him. So, there's no male participants. Oh no, just three oh, women. Oh, that's very special. It was, which is why I, I like kind of signed up for it at the last minute. I had heard because my friend Maggie So was one of the other people, and it was like, okay,、yeah. like it's going to be well, three next women. Time just come to me. <laughs> yeah, call it. You、um, do you remember? Do you still say one eight hundred ting ting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Call 1-800-TING-TING. I always think of that when you were teaching our class. Like,、uh-huh. You have a problem? Call one eight hundred ting ting. Yeah, maybe I do have to apply for this number. <laughs> And、uh, so, how easy once you pass, you got your SPI? How、mm-hmm. easy for you to get jobs? Um, fairly easy. I think just because、um, in affinity spaces, like I'm. A little bit one of a kind. There are not a lot of other plus size guides, and so if if companies are wanting to, I, a lot of the work that I've got early on was kind of like people that wanted to do sort of body inclusive or body positive workshops or clinics, and it would be like I'm the one that you would talk to to do that.、Um, and then I also like I got a lot of support from a lot of different、um, organizations like Never Stop Moving and like She Moves Mountains, these women's affinity spaces that were like. We love what you're doing. Like, come and work for us. And they're not specifically plus size, but you know. Right. Um. So I know for women, we、uh, mentioned about uh Flash Foxy,、mm-hmm. and then she moves mountains, and I also know、uh, in Joshua Tree. Is it Athena? Athena, yeah. Athena. I've never worked for them, but I know of them. Okay. So um. Well, there's probably a a lot more out there targeting、mm-hmm. doing women, and I know there's some queer. Yep. Um. Group. And how about plus size? If they're plus size, where do they find? There really isn't anything that I know of. Oh,、uh, okay. I had originally started a group called Climb Big with a couple of friends, but it sort of didn't. We, you know, it required a little bit more organization than I was willing to put into it.、Um, and there are a lot of people doing like smaller gym-based meetups. There's a group in Salt Lake City called All Bodies Climb.、Um, there's this guy. Who's just an influencer? Not just he. He is an influencer、um, climber that does meetups at his gym in Detroit, I think.、Um, and then there's also、um, like Drew and Sarah Holsey, and they sometimes run programming. But it's all kind of like it's not like a group or an organization. There isn't a lot of like centralization around it,、um, and there's definitely no like guiding. 
I, I think Ting Ting, and I could be wrong, but I think I might be the first plus size certified SPI in the US. Um, and maybe the only one still. <laughs> well, then the sp- supply is not that high. I, mm-hmm. I don't know whether the demand, you think that demand I think the demand high? is growing. Okay. And I think this comes back to that idea that like the average US woman is plus size. Like mm. there is so many people who I think You say could... size 16? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That could benefit from having more affinity space around climbing and might be curious about climbing. And I think this is what I tell brands when they're like, oh, the market isn't there. There's no market for plus size clothing or plus size gear. And I'm like, yeah, but that's because the market hasn't been there. Like if you have been excluded for a really long time, you're not going to be just like searching, (laughs) you know, eddiebauer.com do they have my size yet or not like you're gonna be like oh they don't make my size so i'm not going to so then you have to like let people know you have to advertise you have to put it out there that this is possible and then people are like oh this is possible i would love to try that i want to get into it so i think it's kind of a little bit of a chicken and egg problem like yeah there's not a ton of supply yeah there's not a ton of demand but i think that the more that you invest I think there is a huge potential market. Um, and I think I think we are seeing, like, I am no longer the only fat person in the gym most of the time. Um, I think that that is changing. And when I started climbing eight years ago, I was almost always the only fat person in the gym. So I see. And then before the supplies goes off, yeah. what's your suggestions for, say, me mm-hmm. to be... Um, to make plus size people more comfortable if mm-hmm. they are going with me? Yeah, I mean, I think, so there's a lot of ways to do that. I think one, um, know your rental gear. Like a lot of um, mm. climbing, like guiding institutions have rental gear and like know how big it goes. Like even even like inches, like know what waist size and what thigh size are going to fit. So that if people say like, what sizes do you have? You if you say something like, oh, well, we've got big enough harnesses, they'll fit anyone, and then they don't actually fit, that's like, that feels pretty bad. That feels real shitty. So, like, know what you have accessible. I always recommend to guide companies that you get a couple Misty Mountain Cadillacs in that 3XL size. It's the most size-inclusive harness on the market. It can fit up to a 4X human. Um, so, like, they're pretty comfortable. They do the job, and they are, like... They're, they're the best in my opinion and they still have the two hard points in the belay loop there are more of those like seat belt webbing style like single loop harnesses that go up to similar sizes but then you also end up then making this client feel like oh you get the fat people harness that looks different from everyone else's harness and that kind of feels bad so know that your gear will fit your clients i think that's one thing and then i think just like understanding um i think all guides could benefit from doing some accessibility training, like in the disability space, like learning how to support clients that have different mobility needs, right? And I think that like, there's a lot of really cool ways we can use rigging and whatever to support people um, to make them feel more successful. And I've taken a bunch of um, little like clinics from people, adaptive athletes, and that's been really interesting. And I think that you can think about plus size people Similarly, not saying that being plus size is a disability, but just think about like, how can I make this more accessible? Is the hike going to be too difficult or too challenging? Um, is there a lot of like sketchy, balancey, uh, like scrambly type stuff 
Like, is that going to feel really scary and unstable and unsafe? Like, maybe I go to a crag with a better approach. Um, and then I think also just like listening to your clients and asking them what they need and encouraging them to try different techniques when like something isn't working for them. Like if they're struggling on a move, think, okay, out of the box. Like usually I say, you know, put your left foot up and then just stand on it. Okay. That doesn't seem to be working for them. So what else, like how else can I coach them? How else can I like get them to move their bodies? And I think that like we all love climbing. We all think about movement. Like I bet you have more ideas, but you just get kind of used to saying like hand, hand, foot, foot, like, okay, well, what are other ways that you can approach this? Um, and I think just being like kind and supportive and being enthusiastically supportive about wherever anybody is. I think sometimes in climbing, we have such a focus on getting to the top of the wall or sending a hard grade or sending things without falling. And like, that's if that's where you're at that's freaking great but that's not where everybody's at and like i think we all know that like supporting our clients wherever they're at is valuable but just like if they want to come down let them come down <laughs> you know not yeah of course yeah mm -hmm. uh because i definitely have seen people before just sort of like push people going to the too top. far and oh, yeah okay. and i'm like if they don't want to do it like it's okay they could try yeah. again <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I quit all the time yeah, myself, right? Totally. So you have to send it today. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I had a very fun conversation and learned a lot. <laughs> and I'll definitely put, I know your Instagram account and your website. Anything mm -hmm. else you want to share? I'll put it on my website and show no and everything. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that, yeah. I guess and <laughs> to I, the people, to the listeners, let reach out. Like I really, I try to answer every single Instagram DM, and I wow, love really yes. <laughs> and I really love like talking to people and like answering questions. And if you want gear recommendations, harness recommendations, whatever, like let's talk. I want, I do this work to make this sport inclusive to more fat people. So if you have questions about it, let's talk. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's love to see that the guy community also getting a little bit more yeah, diverse. Totally. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, yeah. Ting Ting.